pray. Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for all that you have done for us, and we thank you for sending Jesus uh, to die on a cross, uh, that he would pay it all for our sins, and that we would be truly saved. Uh, we pray that you be with each family that's watching this morning, each individual that's watching this morning. Uh, we pray that you bless their family, and we, you pray, we pray that you bless this time of worship that we're having together, although it be remotely. We pray uh, that you uh, anoint this time of worship and you use it in a mighty way. Uh, Father God, I pray that you be with Brother Kenny this morning as he brings the message and he brings what you've laid on his heart and all these things in Christ's name. But, uh, hey, I want to just thank Tyler once again for uh, leading us in worship this morning. And uh, I have to be honest with you, I could probably stay right there a good bit of this morning and singing some songs that he led us in today. Um, I've been redeemed. Man, thank God I'm not who I used to be. And I, I don't know about you, but I, I believe most of us and all of us can say the same thing is that we are not the same as we used to be. And so today I want to just uh, look into the first gospel of the New Testament, Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. And so the title of today's message is, is just simply this, Kingdom-Minded Mission. Kingdom-Minded Mission. And that's, that's what the, the title is today. We're going we're gonna to look at this mission that we're on, okay? This mission that we're on. I, I came across just a quote, and it just says simply this. It says, every person longs for a life of purpose. And if you've been alive for a long time, or you're just getting into your early you know, teens, or you're getting in your 20s or 30s, this is a question we all wrestle with throughout until we find that purpose. And I'm going to be honest with you, today in this text, you're going to find purpose for your life. A purpose that's going to give you a life-giving spirit. It's going to be a purpose that's going to give you life that's abundant. It's going to be full. It's going to come with challenges, no doubt. It's going to come with challenges because Jesus says it. But it's going to get you out of probably one of the most, um, I guess, telling idols we have in our in our society today, especially right here in the good old USA, and it's called the idol of comfort. And so here, here's a quote as well. God is more concerned with the development of our hearts than he is with the comfort of our lives. Now think about that quote for just a moment. He's more concerned with the development of our hearts than he is the comfort of our lives. See, when we're out of our comfort is when we really start growing. He's He's wanting to develop the internal side of us, what's inside of us that comes out. Because it says, for whatever's inside where the heart is, comes up, as we say in the uh, country vernacular, what's in the well comes up in the bucket. Okay, so what's in the well comes up in the bucket. And so he, he's more concerned with the development of our hearts than he is really about the comfort of our lives. If you think about all the comforts we have in the good old USA, I'll be honest with you, friends. I, I've been all across uh, this world in a lot of different places. I haven't visited every place, but I've been to enough. And I, I've, been, I've been to see plenty of things. And I'm going to be honest with you, we, we have a lot of comforts here. Um, we have a house. 
we have air conditioning, uh, we, we have TV, we have all these things that, that are right there at our fingertips. We have the way of just doing this technology right here and being able to do it remotely in places like this. We can talk to people around the world. We, I mean, there's, we have a car, we, we can put gas, we make money, we make more money than most people do around the world. And so we're rich by a lot of things, but it also really allows us to fall into a comfort and that, that can be an idol in our life. Well, this passage this morning, I looked up Eugene Peterson's message translation. I just want to read it, but we're going to go to the CSB translation in just a minute. But I, I want to read this, this from uh, Matthew 9, 35 to 38 from Eugene Peterson's translation. And I think it gives us a good indication, and I think it strikes the tenor and the heartbeat of this passage. Here's what he says. Then Jesus made a circuit of all the towns and villages. He taught in their meeting places, he reported kingdom news, and he healed their diseased bodies, healed their bruised and hurt lives. When he looked out over the crowds, listen to this, his heart broke. So confused and aimless they were, like sheep with no shepherd. What a huge harvest, he said to his disciples. How few workers on your knees and pray for harvest hands. I love how he strikes at the chord of everything in here. As Jesus was going, it tells us what he was doing and then tells us what he felt about it and then he gives the challenge to the disciples of what they needed to do next. And so we see this in this passage. Well, Jesus was going around through the towns and villages in Galilee. Well, Galilee at this time had about 204 cities and villages. No village was less than 15,000 people. Okay, so no less than 15,000 people. Well, that would add up to about 3 million people. 3 million people he would be going to visit and see. So if you think about this, um, I believe Atlanta, don't know the last statistic on this, about somewhere between 4.6 million people, okay, in, in, in the Atlanta metro area. Okay, so we think about this is 3 million. It's just shy of the size of Atlanta. So if Jesus visited two villages a day without observing a Sabbath, which he did, it would have taken him three months to complete the task. Now think about that. Two villages a day, doing everything that he says he's doing in this passage, it would take him three months to complete the task. Now that was no easy task by anybody. And so he had um, to rely on his Heavenly Father on, on all this task. And so I want us to, to, to look at this and on uh, by way of the, the Facebook uh, page, you also have uh, the teaching outline. It'll be on this one as well that you can download so you can see. But the very first point I want us to look at in verse 35 is Jesus' kingdom work. Jesus' kingdom work. Okay, verse 35 uh, in, in the uh, other translation here, the CSB, it says, Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every sickness. Simplistically, there's three things here that he's doing as he's going around to the towns and villages. Number one, he's teaching in their synagogues. He's teaching in their synagogues. What I love about this is here's Jesus. He's calling his disciples. He's pulling them close because he's teaching them about the mission he's on and what he has to accomplish in these few short three years he's going to be with them. But what we find in Luke chapter 2, verses 41 to 50, was a time when Jesus was a 12-year year young 
young boy, okay? And they were going back from one of the festivals and somehow he and his family got disconnected. They, they, they got separated. And so they get home and they turn around, hey, Jesus is not with us. So they go back to where they, they've come from and, and what they found was that their 12-year-old son, Jesus, was teaching in the synagogue. 12 years old. I mean, 12-year-old kid. And, and listen to what the wording says in the verse. It says, they were astonished with his understanding and his answers. When's the last time you've come across a 12-year-old that you were astonished about their wisdom and their understanding? It's been a long time, and probably not ever, that I've come across a 12-year-old that had that much wisdom and understanding, and his answers were, were like that. But they were, they were astonished at his teaching. They, they were riveted to what he was teaching, but... What's interesting is what the response he gave to his parents. His parents came in and said, man, we've been looking for you. What, you know, wh where have you been? And, and so Jesus, in his response, teaches his parents something about this kingdom mission. Here's what he says. Didn't you know that it was necessary for me to be in my father's house? Well, what, well, what a great... What a great response to his parents. Now, he was obedient and he was kind and he was loving to his parents, but... I don't know why you're looking for me, like, but I, I'm, I'm in, I'm here teaching. I, that's, that's what I've been called here to do, and I'm on my kingdom mission. So he's teaching in their synagogues. Well, the second thing he was doing was he was preaching the good news. Well, preaching the good news, we, we've heard is, is we can say the gospel. The gospel is definition is, is the good news, and the good news of the gospel is simply this. Listen, there's a kingdom. We have to realize that there's a kingdom that we're living. In as, as, a, as a Christ follower. When, when we accept him and, and we're starting to follow him, we realize there's a kingdom. Okay, so there's a kingdom, but there's also a king, and the king's name is Jesus. Well, we realize that he died, and then he rose, and we, we celebrated that last week. So he died and he rose, and he asked us to repent, to believe, and to follow him. That's simplistically the kingdom gospel. That's it. There's a kingdom, okay? There's principles and teachings that we have to learn about this new kingdom. Uh, it, it's not the way of this kingdom we have on, on this earth. It's a new kingdom, and it's a heavenly kingdom, and it's far greater than the one that we live in. And, and by the way, that kingdom is eternal, okay? So there's an eternal uh, thing here that we're looking at is that the kingdom is eternal. But there's a king, and his name is Jesus. See, God so loved this world that he sent his son, the king, Jesus, to be with us and to teach us about the kingdom. And so he displayed his ultimate love on the cross. He rose again. And his message throughout preaching the good news was, listen, repent. And John the Baptist, remember, was teaching that same message was repent. We're sinful, okay? No one is righteous, no, not one. No one is good. We have a sinful nature, and so repent, turn from those ways, believe, and follow Jesus. Simply preaching the good news throughout all of these regions of Galilee. And here's what was interesting, is that everybody was clinging to this message. The third thing it says here in this first verse was that he was healing every disease and every sickness. He was healing every disease and sickness. Well, Matthew 4.23, Matthew 4.23 and Matthew 9.35 are, are the same verse. And these are like bookends between the chapters in between, okay? 
So what we see here is that Jesus continued going around to all the towns of Israel, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness. We see that. So chapter 4, verse 23, and chapter 9, 35. Well, here's what we find out in chapters 5 through 7. In chapters 5 through 7, we find the greatest sermon from the wisest man that ever lived, and it was Jesus. The greatest sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 5 to chapter 7 was the authoritative words of Jesus. The authoritative words of Jesus. What we find out is he starts out with the Beatitudes. When, when he was up on the mountain and he was preaching and teaching to them, he was, he was saying, listen, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. He was saying things like, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be fulfilled. How about blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. No wonder people were hearing something very different from what the scribes and Pharisees were teaching. And he goes on through chapter 5 and 6, and he's teaching about adultery, and he's talking about murder and, and divorce, and, and he's talking about um, going the second mile. He's talking about loving your enemies. He's talking about how to give, being a generous giver, not just a tipper, but a generous giver, and, and how to pray, and, and teaching the disciples how to pray, how to fast, what it means uh, to, to have um, God, and you can't serve two masters, okay? And then just as we've been living in this particular time right now, that we, we don't need to be worried. And he was teaching on anxiety and, and worry. And so we hear the kingdom teaching. So these words of Jesus was authoritative words given in the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7. But also in chapters 8 through 9, we see the authoritative actions of Jesus. And he's laying out the mission. He's going about and he's, he's, he's telling them about the cost of following him. And he's, he's also healing people. And he's going to, to see miracles be done um, through him and, and the, the crowds that are watching him. And he's, the call of Matthew happens. And, and so all these things are happening through the actions of Jesus. So in these chapters, we can say simply this, that Jesus lays out his mission. He's laying out his mission. So this kingdom-minded mission that he's doing, he's, he's laying this out. Well, the second thing we get to is in verse 36. And we see Jesus' kingdom heart. Now, this is big. This is huge. Uh, we see his heart. It says in, in verse 36, When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Compassion. The Greek word in this means to be moved in the inward parts down into the depths of us, right here in the center core of our being. I mean, have you ever been so moved by something that's happened, either by a loss of someone who you really loved or a situation that got you way down here and it bent you over and the only thing you could do was just wail or cry out? It was just deep down inside of him that this compassion moved him. Well, what, what I wanted to know in this was, I, I started asking questions, this question was, why was Jesus so moved? Why was he so deeply moved for compassion with the people? Why? Well, why, why did it move him so deeply? Well, how about this? He saw the brokenness. He saw the brokenness. I mean, you know, they were lost. They were lost without a shepherd. There was no shepherd guiding them or leading them, and, and they were lost. They were they, they were broken. I mean, you can think about so many things in, in, in today in our own lives that are broken. We live in a broken society. We live in a broken and fallen world. And, 
And Jesus is the only answer to that brokenness, but he saw the brokenness. He saw how it hurt them. He saw the lack of good godly leadership. How about that? He saw the, the lack of good godly leadership. And, and what that simply means is this, that there was people in charge. There were leaders they were there to shepherd the people, and here's what they did. They didn't care about those people. They cared about themselves and how they looked. They, they were the, the righteous, just the, the, the people that, that really we, we call legalists today. They, they were the ones that they were just, they're really after them on themselves and adding things to it. But he saw that there's a lack of good godly leadership. He also saw that they were defenseless against those who bullied and oppressed them. See, I mean, they, they couldn't say anything. I mean, they were oppressed and bullied and these, these religious leaders and they just pushed them over the side. They were outcasts of society and things happened. And I mean, you couldn't, if you were ceremonially unclean, you couldn't be around certain spaces at the temple and outside. You couldn't touch people. It made them unclean for a certain number of days and the Levitical law and how all that stuff played out. Man, and he saw that they were vulnerable. I mean, th think about just those things. What he saw, brokenness, lack of good godly leadership. They were lost. They were defenseless. They were vulnerable. And they had unmet needs. Well, one thing that struck me was that, you know, the physical healing that he was performing with these people with leprosy and blindness and all this thing, the physical healing is a cosmetic miracle that masks really a sinful heart not given to the great physician. And one of those examples that I remember just on this is that I remember um, cyclist Lance Armstrong. Cyclist Lance Armstrong, unfortunately, uh, came down with cancer several years ago. And I remember um, him having, you know, losing his hair and going through all the treatment that he went through. And I remember when he had his press conference coming out of that when, when he was in remission and was cancer-free. And here was his words, I beat cancer. Well, that's what it's saying here. See, they, the physical healing is a cosmetic miracle that really masks the sinful heart that that is not given to the great physician. See, Lance wouldn't be alive today if it wasn't for the great physician healing his life. He didn't beat cancer. He was able to go to doctors and physicians that performed these things for him, but the great physician is the one who healed him. It wasn't himself. He didn't beat it. God allowed him. God, God helped bring him through this so he would have a testimony to a greater thing than himself. Well, the religious leaders, who were supposed to be shepherds of the people, had not fulfilled their responsibility to guide or protect the people. Listen to Ezekiel 34, verses 11 through 16. Here's what it says. For this is what the Lord God says. Listen to these words, so powerful. See, I myself will search for my flock and look for them. As a shepherd looks for his sheep on the day he is among his scattered flock, so I will look for my flock. I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and total darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples, gather them from the countries, and bring them to their own soil. I will shepherd them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines, and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will tend them in good pasture, and their grazing place will be on Israel's lofty mountains. There they will lie down in a good grazing place. They will feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel." I will tend my flock and let them lie down. This is the declaration of the Lord. I will seek the lost, bring back the strays, bandage the injured, and strengthen the weak. But I will destroy the fat and the strong, and I will shepherd them with justice. Man, I love that in verse 16. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strays. I will bandage the injured and strengthen the weak. That's what Jesus does for us. 
He's here to seek and to save the lost. He's here to bring back those who have fallen away. He's there to bandage the ones who are injured in life, injured by the things, the ways of the world that just tend to, the storms beat us up, but he's there to bandage us back up and strengthen those who maybe have lost a little faith or maybe their faith is shaken. He's, he's there to help strengthen them because, man, when I am weak, he is strong. See, we can look at evil in Jesus' day and we can say some evil in Jesus' day could be religious elite and their attitudes toward the tax collectors and sinners. They had a certain attitude toward those people. It was about the heart. There was disease that kept women locked up and ostracized by humanity. There was blindness that kept men and women begging all their lives beside a road, just hoping that they can get enough money to survive day to day. How about some evil in our day? Maybe some are obvious and some maybe, maybe uh, kind of hidden a little bit in, in various ways. I mean, we can think about just as far back as maybe Columbine, school shootings in, in Parkland, who's a little more recent. What about 9-11? Something that will be indelibly marked in my memory is I know exactly where I was and we thought about the evil. How could anybody fly two large jumbo planes into the Twin Towers and then thinking that was bad enough, and then all of a sudden watch both of them collapse in a matter of just hours. Unbelievable. Evil in the world. Going through a disease with a loved one. Think about that one. How many people are holding the hands of those with Alzheimer's or dementia or other uh, things that they may be struggling with today that, that's, man, it's just tough. Or how about losing a son or a daughter to a cult or an extremist group or gangs or, or even addiction? Man, that's evil. Um, how about racial prejudice? Man, that's, that's pretty rampant in certain places of the country is just racial prejudice. I mean, if we really think about it, God says, listen, I've created man in my image. And so we're all been created in his image. And so listen, there's, there's skin tone, but we're all one under him, okay? Jesus, listen, Jesus comes into all these types of situations and what does he do? He offers salvation, and he offers hope. I don't know about you, but I needed salvation, and I definitely need hope. And if you're in any of those situations that I, that I read off just a minute ago, maybe you're in that situation. Listen, you can find hope. You can find peace. You can find salvation in Jesus. Just turn to it. Jesus says, I have come to seek and save those which are lost. He has come to each one of us in our helplessness, in our lostness, our tendency uh, to place our faith and hope in other things which we call idols. See, Jesus spends time with sinners. He is called, listen, a friend of sinners. How many, how, how many sinners are we, are we spending time with if we want to follow Jesus and we're, doing, we're having a heart like him, a kingdom-minded heart? If we're having that, how many sinners are we uh, circling ourselves around and spending time with? Listen, he spent time listening to them. He, he spent time hearing their hurts and their pains and and he, but he turns the conversation always into that gospel conversation and he, and he turns it to hope because he is that person of hope. See, Jesus reaches out and touches those who are sick and diseased. Jesus, a friend of sinners, ultimately lays down his life for every one of us. That's the heart that Jesus demonstrated. That's the heart that we can see in this kingdom-minded mission. It's a kingdom-minded heart. It's that compassion for others. 
The third thing we see is in verse 37, and we're going to see Jesus' kingdom workers. Jesus' kingdom workers in verse 37. Here's what he says. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. The harvest in the Greek means that which is harvested. Okay, so it can represent people who can be brought into the kingdom. It can represent those who are already to respond to the gospel. It can also represent gathering the lost. I mean, Jesus looked out into the harvest of those three million people right there and said, listen, guys, look, look. Open up your hearts, open up your eyes. Feel, sense, touch, see that these folks out there they're like sheep without a shepherd. They need hope. They need salvation. They need someone. But listen, the laborers are few, but the harvest is abundant. Jim Elliott, the missionary martyr of the Alca Indians of Peru, lamented the fact that so few were willing to go to the mission field in his own day. And here's what he said. And I have a quote that I think will be on the screen. It says, our young men are going into other fields because they don't feel called to the mission field. Here's what he said. We don't need a call. We need a kick in the pants. Listen, Jesus calls us and he's saying, listen, the harvest is abundant and it can be right here in the back door or it can be around the world, but he's called us. He says, we don't need a call. We need a kick in the pants. Here's a guy who was martyred for his faith with the Alka Indians along with four others serving those people and those tribes eventually came to know Jesus. And what a beautiful picture that is. But Jim, the guy who went on this and who, who lost his life, says, listen, we just need a kick in the pants. See, none of us is intended to simply coast in this life until we get to heaven. That's it. We don't get to simply coast through this life. Jesus didn't coast through this life. Okay? We're to to be on mission, a kingdom-minded mission. So we look at three idols today. I'm just going to blow through a couple of these real quickly. Three idols that, that we have today. One is significance. Okay, We have an idol of significance. Significance that, that you know our name and our brand and all these things. But remember what Jesus said, that whoever seeks to be first will be last, and the last will be first. Okay, We don't want... Listen... I am a child of God. We sang this song a minute ago. I am a child of God. I've been chosen. I don't, I don't have to look at significance. I am a child of the King. I don't have to press in to trying to make my name great. Listen, making Him great is all that matters. The last will be first and the first will be last. The second one is comfort. The second idol is comfort. God is more concerned with the development of our hearts than He is with the comfort in our lives. Take it from Jim Elliott's quote a minute ago. Maybe we just need a kick in the pants. Maybe we have just gone into this place of comfort that we have our homes and we have our air conditioning, we have our cars and gas and food and, and the clothing and everything that we have in life and, and, and we have a job and, and, and oh, right now we're in this COVID-19 era but we can do what we do. But hey, listen, maybe we've fallen into an idol of comfort and say, well, I deserve all this and we need to just be, need a kick in the pants. Well, the third one is control. The third idol is control. So how much of this life can you really control? I mean, really, really, really control. So the third idol is control. And what we've realized in this, this thing right now is simply this in COVID-19. There's not a whole lot we can control. Well, it's, it's been mandated that we, we stay home for a season. It, businesses have, have, have done certain things to 
keep things moving. I mean, we realize that, hey, we, people are dying. We, we can't control that other than maybe social distancing to stay away. But, man, there's a lot of things we cannot control. So there's always an idol we can fall into of control. And here's the thing about idols. The quote goes like this. The idols always overpromise and they underdeliver. See, idols will tell you one thing, that, but they will overpromise you day in and day out. That idol will give you everything that you ever dreamed and hoped for. But when you seek after it and go at it with all of your heart, and guess what happens? It always underdelivers and leaves you in a worse state of mind. Well, the fourth thing we see here is Jesus' kingdom discipline. In verse 38, Jesus' kingdom discipline. He said that the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. But here's what he says. Therefore, in light of what I just told you, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Pray. Now, when I got to this verse, I'm thinking, okay, so Jesus is going to go ahead. He's going to unfold a to-do list for us to do. He's going to unfold something here for us that we can, hey, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, through ten, hey, do this, do this. I'm, but he doesn't do that. What he says in verse 38, he says, therefore, pray. Pray to the Lord. He said, pray. Some translations will say, pray to. Another translation says, earnestly pray. Earnestly pray. Another translation says, ask. Ask. See, the discipline of prayer is something Jesus modeled all throughout his days with his disciples. That was a rhythm that was a, a something he just, day in and day out, he continued to show his followers and his disciples. See, Jesus got up and he prayed early in the morning. And it was so powerful that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray. They didn't know how to pray. They, they said, Jesus, will you teach us to pray? So we find this in our scripture. If we flip it back into... Um, uh, let's see, let's go back to, to Sermon on the Mount and we get to chapter 6 and we get down into a verse 5 on and then he gives us the model prayer. So Jesus taught them, that they were so moved, like Jesus, for some reason you're, you pray much differently than we pray. And there's a lot more power, there's a lot more authority. Teach us to pray. There's such a connection to his heavenly Father. But he did it day in and day out. I'm going to give you several quotes that you can write down, you can just look at the screen whichever way. And um, one is this by Martin Luther. Here's what Martin Luther said. I have so much to do that I must spend the first three hours of each day in prayer. Now think about that. If you spent three hours a day in prayer as that was a habit of Martin Luther, how early would you have to get up in the morning to get all those three hours of prayer in so you could face your day? Another quote he said, and he prayed this. This is Martin Luther praying. He says, Dear Lord, although I am sure of my position, I am unable to sustain it without thee. Help thou me or I am lost. Wow, another great quote. What about John Wesley? John Wesley said this, Give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. And I care not a straw whether they be clergymen or laymen. Such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. God does nothing but an answer to prayer. Wow. 
That, that's so good. I mean, given 100 preachers who fear nothing but preaching, listen, sin, repentance, that John the Baptist set the scene on and then Jesus uh, also went on with and then desire nothing but God alone. And he said, it will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. So powerful. So Matthew 9, 38, therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers in the harvest. See, COVID-19 is our current reality. And my question is, what are you and I learning during this process? Uh, I've just read a few things down here. Do, do we trust him or ourselves? Do, do we realize how busy we've been? Take this time to slow down. Realize that busyness is an enemy of us. Busyness gets us totally out of sync with our walk with Jesus. Do we realize how little control of situations that we really have in life? Have we found out the importance of calling, texting, Zooming, FaceTiming people, connecting with people, how, much, how important that is? Have we thought about what the new normal will be like, what we're going to take as our learnings, that we're going to move beyond this and say, hey, I started this during COVID-19 and I'm going to continue after COVID-19 and before COVID-19, this is what I was doing and I'm not taking this post-COVID-19 with me. We're learning some things if you're listening to that. He's saying, listen, pray. Pray. See, the list is limitless. Jesus is more concerned with growing us, developing us, rather than us staying in a life of comfort or stagnation or complacency or powerlessness or self-dependency. He doesn't want us to be there. He wants to be with him. See, Jesus has come so that, he might, that we might have life and a life that is full. See, Satan comes to seek, kill, and destroy, but he has come to give us life that's full, that's abundant. He is the one that is a life-giving spirit. Well, here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to pray, brothers and sisters. Listen, just press in for just a moment. I want you to lean in on, on these next few things that I'm going to ask. Because here's, here's what I'm seeing in this passage for us as we move forward, even in this season of social distancing and, and all that, and we move out of COVID-19 and we're able to gather again. Listen to this. I'm asking you to pray and see how God is leading you to join in the mission work of the King. Have you fallen into that, that idol of comfort and of complacency and you're, you're not on the mission work for Jesus. I'm asking you to pray and see how God is leading you to join in that mission. I'm also praying that God will send you into the harvest. I'm asking that he'll send you into the harvest. I'm also praying that God will so convict you to get your life out of significance, comfort, and control, and that you'll just get involved in the kingdom-minded mission. I'm praying that you will make the decision, listen to this, to make disciples who make disciples. That you will pray for those who God will lead to you or lead them to you. Those who are receptive to growing and multiplying the mission. See, I want you to pray for those that God will lead to you or lead you to them. He's going to give you names. If you pray, he'll lift up those names. See, making disciples is what he's called us to do. And he's sending the workers out here. He's saying, listen, I want you to pray to the Lord of the harvest. Why? And what? To send out workers into the harvest. That's what he's saying. So this is adults. This is students. This is children. I've been reading a book called Resilient by Valerie Bell. And it's the Iwana uh, CEO. And I want, I want you to 
listen to this statement that she gave in this book, and I'm so moved because this is huge. This is, and I, I think we can cling to this one. She says this about Awana. Our goal is to raise up this generation of kids to be the greatest generation of disciple makers. Wow. In 2050, she, they, she and they want to see that this generation of kids right now in 2050 will be the greatest generation of disciple makers. That they will be resilient in their faith. I said, hallelujah, amen. What a great, 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 great mission. They're thinking kingdom-minded mission. They're thinking these same things. These kids are like sheep without a shepherd. And they need a shepherd to guide them and lead them. And, and they need to pray. And, and they need to seek what God... And, and help them grow up to send them into the mission field. Right there in their school systems, in their back doors, and in the colleges and universities and beyond. So that way in 2050, we'll see the greatest generation of disciple makers ever known. Wow, great. See, the harvest is plentiful. It's ripe. It's ready to be picked. It's ready to be harvested. Now it's time for you and for me to join in this great adventure with the King of the Kingdom. His name's Jesus. How urgent. Let me leave you with this final question. How urgent is this message to you? How urgent do you see that Jesus is laying this out? Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Ladies and gentlemen, we have people on our back door that need this gospel message. There are folks around the world that need this gospel message. I'm praying. I'm praying fervently, daily, without ceasing, that God will raise you up send you out on mission as a disciple maker into this, this field that's white and harvested. You'll be able to go reap it. You'll be able to go gather it. And you'll be able to see and witness and experience man, a life that's full of being a disciple maker and seeing folks radically change for him in order so that way for generations to come, we can see that we prayed that the Lord would send out workers into the harvest. And because of the prayer that we had, He raised up and sent out the greatest generations ever known. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day, for this time, kingdom-minded mission. Thank you for the challenge and the charge. Thank you that you're a compassionate Savior who loves us and in the deepest parts of you, you, you have compassion for us and may we develop that heart as well for others. Father, thank you for what you're doing in this time. May we continue to lean on you. In your name I pray, amen. I pray that you have a fantastic week. I pray that this word has spoke directly to you. If you have made a decision to follow Jesus or if you have questions or, or you say, well, I really want to find a place of purpose, help me, please leave a message. We'll follow back up with you. I'd love to follow back up with you and let us know how we can help you really get in, into this uh, mission that Jesus has really called us into. Have a great week.